Tom Talks. My name is Tom Jung. I'm your host. And I'm Jack Lizenby, co-host. All right. Doing anything cool this weekend? Uh, hopefully nothing. Okay. All right. Uh, so in this episode, we're talking about the low-income apartment. So there's 291 units that are going in. And low-income, we had to look this up. Well, what would that actually be? Because rental prices have gone up tremendously over the last few years. Right. So low income in DFW is classified at, for a single individual, is classified as $45,300 gross income and below. Um, that number obviously goes up as you have more people living mm-hmm. in the household. And uh, that's the absolute high, cap, like the high end of low income. Yeah. And what I found is basically, uh, as far as rental rent per month, it looked like around 1200 to 1250 is probably where you'll be for a two bedroom. One bedroom is probably a thousand. Now, none of this was in the article or anything. I'm just speculating. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was a couple hundred dollars higher just because these are gonna be new. And uh, this is also interesting. So I, I looked this up for any number nerds out there. So in the last 90 days in Fort Worth, this is all from the MLS, but there were 1,036 properties that were rented out. Now, of those, how many do you think were under $1,000 per month? Probably not too many. Yep. 30. It's less than 3%, right? And then it goes up from there. Your typical 3-2, that's around 1,800 square feet. There were 23% of all rental properties. Now, this is a crazy thing. So I went from uh, $1,500 to $1,800 a month. That's Mm. your basic 3-2. You know, the, wherever you're living, it may be a little bit different. But then there's 605, that's 58% of rentals were over $1,800 a month. How big would you expect those houses to be? Probably four bed. Okay, square footage? Um, just shy of 2,000. Okay, see, uh, all right, I had a different perspective. I thought these were going to be larger houses. But you're absolutely right. The average house was about 1,900 square feet. Except the only difference between that and like a step down as far as the price goes was the year that the house was built. So on average, those houses going for over 1800 a month were built in 2008. Yeah, I think that's becoming a, a growing concern for people with this market. Uh, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot of that's money. that's just rent. That's not, you know, electric or water or any of that other kind of stuff. But um, yeah. So anyways, low-income ho- low housing, there's a big debate going on right now. Right. And this is coming to the Hemp Hill area. Mm-hmm. So um, South Fort Worth. Yeah, South Fort Worth inside the loop, just west of 35, because I, I guarantee most people don't know where that's at. Unless they <laughs> and so, because there's not, there's just houses there. So unless you live there, you don't know, right? Right. There's one street that has a bunch of small businesses. Um, but anyways, the, there's a debate going on. So... The uh, city council member, uh, Elizabeth Beck, is for this, and a lot of the residents there have created a group, and they are against it mm. because they don't want the low-income housing. So, what do, I mean, what are your thoughts on, is it good, is it bad, what are the... I guess it depends on what side of the fence you stand on. If you do need um, affordable housing within the locale that you're looking at, like Hemp Hill has a lot of uh, industry. Um, it's very important for those people to be within commute distance of where they work, sure. uh, obviously. But 
On top of that, affordable housing is becoming more and more difficult to get a hold of. So for them to put something together like this could be a, a great boon for these people. But for the property owners in the area, this could be really detrimental. Obviously, people don't want a lot of apartments around them. Temporary uh, uh, renters and things like that are generally looked at negatively and mm -hmm. low income usually brings um, look, brings property values down. Yeah, I think the, the, the concern I think a lot of people have is that low income housing means more crime. Right. And that may be true. And here's, here's the other thing. Okay, so the one thing that the, the group, it was uh, No Vende. <laughs> Hamville No Vende? Yeah. yeah uh, say No Vende? Say No Vende, yeah. Don't, what does that mean? Uh, do not sell. Do not sell Hamville. So their concern is that it's going to start gentrifying their neighborhood. I don't think that. I don't think that apartment will do that because it's smack dab in between a bunch of industrial buildings mm -hmm. right next to a railroad track. And I don't think that for the most part, if, you know, if you're doing well, that's not where you want to live. Right. The one thing they do have, there's a community center that was just built across the street from there. It looks really nice. I haven't mm -hmm. been there. Um, did a little research online, but it looks really nice. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. I think they're voting on it today, whether it's going to be a thing or not. Yeah, I can appreciate that, though, because the history of the area, they may feel like it's marred or tainted by newer buildings, mm -hmm. uh, different architectural styles. Uh, if you go to like the north side area, you'll see some houses that are coming in that are very new compared to what's around them. And they just they kind of stick out. So yeah. I can I can appreciate wanting to keep it a certain way or feel. So can I. And I I. I I honestly don't get the apartment thing. Like, if anything, that should be some other industrial building right. or something. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, anyways, that may or may not happen. So if you're in the uh, Hempel area, just be aware of that. All right. So what's up next? Spot. So Ten Lane we, Highway. Yes, sir. So okay. uh, right off of the 35 West uh, and going and connecting to 114 is going to be a new section of highway. Not new highway per se. SH-170, uh, Texas Highway 170, is going to be widened right now. It is currently, I believe, a one lane in certain areas and two lanes in others. It is going to be a minimum of two lanes and upwards to 10 at uh, the busier portions. Yeah, and if you're, if you're wondering where this is at, and it's, it's across from Alliance. It's going to be really good for that area because there is so much uh, logistical traffic with trucks. Yes. So to give those guys as much berth as they can and allow you to get around them a lot quicker. So I didn't know this, but Alliance is like one of the biggest commercial hubs as far as uh, airports go. Mm -hmm. And so all around this, and I drove through there last week, all around this are just huge warehouses. And then there's a huge train yard. So all day long, there's just stuff coming off the train yard and the airplanes, and they all go to these sorting facilities and then from there, the semis come, they pick up whatever, and they drive to your, your Walmart, your Kohl's, or your department stores, whatever it is. And so that, I think, is the major driving factor for widening this highway is because there is so much traffic and they're expecting so much more shipping and all that kind of stuff that they right. don't want to slow down the, the shipping lanes. Yeah, and 35 in that area, I think, is two lanes in some spots. Yeah, so it's awful. That's tragic. Tragic. <laughs> yeah. I think they just got done working on it, and they started working on it again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's coming. I think it's supposed to be done in 2023. Hmm. So it'll probably be done by 2025. Who knows? 
Uh, and then, yeah, Spock. Not Spock. Spock's friend. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Yes, sir. Okay. So, William Shatner, uh, for those of you who don't know, that is Captain Kirk from the original Star Trek. Uh, he is going to be going to space again. Again. This time, it will be on the USS Enterprise, but Amazon's version. They've... Uh, <laughs> They've been bought out. <laughs> Blue Origin is going to be launching their rocket on Wednesday the 13th. For those of you watching or listening, it's going to be uh, yesterday for you. But they're going to be on a suborbital trajectory. And what that means is if you're, looking at a, if you're looking at a plane, it's like an arc. It's not going all the way around the Earth. It's just coming up and coming back down like if you threw a ball up in the sky. It's just like touching the tip of space. Right. It's, it's just going up just far enough to be like five. we're in space and yeah. then they come back down. So, ticket to get on this uh, this plane shuttle? They're exclusive, $250,000 per ticket, because there are a couple other passengers that are going to be on there as well. Private passengers, mm-hmm. I forget their names, uh, but fairly notable individuals that paid top dollar to be on this flight. Gotcha. And how old is Captain Kirk? He is going to be the oldest man to go into space at 90 years old. Dang. That's crazy. Well, hopefully that goes well. <laughs> All right, and then the uh, Grandpa Romance Scam. Uh, what's, uh, what's the story there? So, from what I read, <laughs> this is a scam directed at old people, as a lot of them are, unfortunately. Um, but this one plays on their heartstrings. Okay. So, everything from Match, Christian Mingle, uh, Plenty of Fish, these, these dating sites mm-hmm. and apps were... Uh, used as a way to target elderly people into scamming them out of money. So 35 individuals in North Texas were targeting over 100 elderly individuals across the country. Um, and they would get in there, they'd you know, pretend they love them, gather all this affection from them, and then scam them slowly out of money. And in total, I think they got uh, $17 million Jeez. between all 100 of them. That's crazy. That is a lot of money. That is insane. So yeah, look out for your single grandma and grandpas. <laughs> I guarantee they're not the only ones doing it. They're no, just, they just recently not. got caught um, here out of Fort Worth or Dallas Fort Worth area. I don't know exactly where. But I mean, imagine being on somewhere like Christian Mingle, and then you drop a couple hundred thousand dollars on some guy online. You oh never yeah, met. I mean yeah, who doesn't do that? She's <laughs> <laughs> got a spare hundred grand laying around. There you go. Uh, all right, and then. Uh, yeah, so if you if you listened to our podcast last week, we talked a little bit about how the Fed affects the housing market and how they're going to taper back uh, buying the bonds that are backed by mortgages. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to increase the rate at which uh, the interest rate that banks are going to lend and everything else. So we're expecting that this is going to cause some kind of slowdown. It might cause a dip. I don't think it'll be a crash, not here in Texas anyways. Right. And so it raises an interesting question. Do you sell your house before the dip or do you write it out? And so I spent way too long putting a spreadsheet together. (laughs) And we'll just go over some data real quick because it didn't end up quite like I thought it would. But it's fairly interesting. So... I ran numbers on basically two segments. One is your start or entry level home. I say that this is crazy. I'm entry level home at three hundred thousand dollars, right? That just it seems odd. 
It's a big number. Yeah. I mean, okay, so it's your 3-2, about 2,000 square feet, and we're assuming that the house is worth 300000 We're also assuming that you've uh, lived there at least four years or so. So you bought the house, went through this period of great appreciation, and the question is, do you capture that now, or do you ride out the storm? So I'll, I won't bore you with all the details, but basically, if the market dips 10% and you sell your house, you say, hey, I see this is coming, I sell my house, it dips over the next year, mm-hmm. and you're renting, and then at the end of that year, you go buy or whatever, you will actually roughly break even, whether you have a $300,000 house or a half a million dollar house. Which is kind of crazy to me because you're, if you sell it, you've got closing costs. Uh, you're giving up all the principal that you're paying down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're giving up equity in your house and you're actually going to pay more to rent the same property. So all that being said, for most people, it's wash. We'll get into some details and why you might want to reach out to us if you're really considering something like this. But right. now if you do it for two years, so let's say that you sell now. It takes longer for the market to dip than you thought it would. And then it finally it dips for whatever. And so you've rented for two years. At two years with only a 10% decline in house prices, you are negative. So on a $300,000 house, you're down about 13 grand. On a half million, you're down about 30, which is crazy. I didn't think it'd be that big. Right. Um, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. You actually, and, and we'll talk about this here at the end, but you, there's, there's, when people think about renting versus buying, there's so many other factors that go into the money uh, that a lot of people don't think about. And so if, if you're one of those people that are renting, it may not be a bad idea to buy a house, even in this market. You know? So it's, it's just something we'd have to look at. Um, now here's, okay, so here's where it gets inter- interesting. If the market drops 20%, so all of a sudden, because this past year, houses went up about 20%, like it was ridiculous. And so let's say that all of that appreciation that happened over the last year is just gone. And you sell your house, you wait one year, you rent while all of this is happening, and then you go buy or whatever. You're actually ahead on a $300,000 house, you're ahead $28,000. On a half million dollar house, you're ahead $42,000. And then those numbers are cut in half if it spans another year. So... Really, by running all of these numbers and everything that we just talked about, what it really boils down to is if you're thinking about selling, you're really betting that houses are going to go down more than 10% in value. And that's a big gamble. That's a big gamble. Absolutely a big gamble. And so this got me thinking, well, in 2008 when the market crashed, what was it like here? And... I closed the page that had all that information. So <laughs> I think you said it was something like only 5%. It was less than 5%. Right. Our, our market dropped. Yeah. Now the average price back then for a house was 138,000, which is crazy. Uh, and nowadays I think we're double that. We should, I think we're probably around 260, 270. Yeah. Probably maybe Yeah. I haven't checked it in the, in the last year, <laughs> uh, but it's gotta be close to that. And so my thought process, well, if the houses are doubled, then the, the loss should be doubled. So maybe it's 10%. Like, I think it's going to be around 10% if it does happen. 
but you also have everybody moving here, right? So right. it's not going to be as bad as other places. And that was, wow, that was mind-blowing. So uh, the worst city that got hit was like Fort Myers in Florida. They lost 50% of their home values. That, that's ruinous. Yeah. And then there are most of, uh, most of the, uh, there are a lot of cities in California, mm-hmm. and most of those were around 30%. They lost 30% value on their houses. And then the one that was interesting, I think it was like St. Louis. St. Louis took like a 30% hit. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of something, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I'm really curious to know what happened there. Uh, Las Vegas took a big hit. Um, but I think a lot of people had second houses there is probably why. True, true. Things like those vacation areas, those high uh, high price houses, they have yeah. a larger margin for loss as yeah. well. Fort so. Myers, I think, was probably a big second home location for a lot of people. Probably. So anyways, um, I don't think it's going to be that bad here. And so at the end of the day, unless you think that there's going to be a huge dip or, you know, the other thing that would probably make sense is if you were thinking about moving anyways, like if you don't think that you're going to be in that same house for the next two or three years, Mm -hmm. then maybe it makes sense. So you got all your cash, you know, in the bank instead of trapped in a house and you can, you can make some moves, but, um, and there are a lot of other variables that go into it as well. There are. And that's why I was about to touch on that. So basically, uh, dollar for dollar, if you're renting versus owning, you're going to spend about $2,400 more a year. Now, my numbers were different because let's say that you have a $300,000 house. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also got $4,200 going to principal, right? And then you also have a tax benefit. A lot of people don't think about this, but... Let's say that you pay $7,000 a year in interest. So you have interest and principal that goes towards your mortgage. Well, that's a write-off that you can use on your taxes, which if you're at a 20% bracket, I mean, you're looking at 1500 bucks. So that's money saved. Yeah. And, you know, it's the numbers are bigger if you're, if you're looking at a half million dollar house. But yeah, this is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors here. How long you've owned your house, the longer you own it, the more principal you're paying down, mm-hmm. uh, what your interest rate is. I was basing all this off of three and a half percent interest. Um, th- there's a lot of factors. So I guess the moral of the story, if you're thinking about this, if this is a concern for you and you want us to take a look at your actual position, should you sell, should you not? Uh, you can go to our website, thomastexasrealty.com, hit the contact button. Love to hear from you. So that's all we got. Anything else? No. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in.